0: you know if my son was sitting in that seat his legs would have caught on fire and then i would have been trying to get him out and if i got him out which i would have he still would have had second or third degree burns all over his body and uh if i hadn't stopped to check that grass i would have just been driving when it exploded
1: this is the adventure sports podcast where we talk to athletes adventurers and business owners from around the world of adventure sports whether you're climbing Mount Everest First of all, I hope you had a great weekend, and I hope uh, you had a good Father's Day, whether you were thanking your father, or if you are one. I know for a lot of us, uh, it's parents that introduce us to the outdoors and to adventure sports, so if you celebrated with them yesterday, um, reach out to them again today and thank them if they've introduced you to something that you now love. Uh, Today, we're talking to Iyad Yahweh. I hope I pronounced that right. (laughs) My apologies if I didn't, um, about bow hunting, which is absolutely an adventure sport. If you've ever hunted or fished, you know, it can be very, you gotta be an athlete to carry that equipment, to hike these trails and to, to have the skills and the ability to harvest these animals. And that's how I was introduced to the outdoors. So dad, thank you for showing me how to fish and how to hunt and setting that foundation for me. You know, I know there's a lot of conflicting views on hunting and fishing. I know we don't feature it a lot on this show, but if you've ever hunted, you understand uh, hunting an animal out in, the, out in the wild is an incredibly life-changing experience. Uh, it, it makes you appreciate nature so much more and can help you appreciate uh, meat, help you appreciate provision and the balance of life, uh, unlike people who, who may have never experienced something like that. So if you've never experienced it, I wouldn't necessarily say go do it. There's a lot that goes into it. You need to be serious if you want to try it because, you know, it's a lot more than just throwing on a backpack and going for a walk out in the woods. Uh, there's permitting and equipment and all that. And EOD is a great uh, source of uh, information if you want to get into it after the interview. Reach out. I'm sure he'd love to help you figure out how to get into it, especially bow hunting. Uh, that is a incredible skill that takes a lot of practice and a lot of time. And it's an incredibly rewarding way to experience the outdoors. But like I said, that's how I was introduced to the outdoors through hunting and fishing. And even though I don't do that as much today, it has helped me appreciate the circle of life and appreciate these places. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I also want to thank everyone for submitting their applications to the Adventure Grant. Uh, We announced the winner on Saturday. Congratulations to Richard Homan. He won uh, the $1,000 grant to go towards his adventure coming up. And if you want to hear what he's doing, listen to Saturday's episode. We will be interviewing him after his adventure, but that might not be for a few months. But Saturday's episode was like five or six minutes long, so definitely worth, worth a listen. And also thank you to Athletic Brewing for funding it. Uh, we can have done it without you guys. So, so thank you so much. And if you'd like to save 15% on an athletic brewing, uh, non-alcoholic craft beer, go to their website. It's in the show notes and, uh, yeah, thank them. They are helping this show. I would love if you guys go and bought some non-alcoholic beer from them because they're making great stuff and they're really supportive of the adventure athletic community. Also thank you to CS instant coffee. They make Arabica instant coffee in little single-serve packets. So you can take it with you on a hunt, take it with you on a hike, take it with you out on a boat, anywhere you want to go. All right, I have rambled enough. Let's get into this episode. All right, well everybody, welcome to the show. Uh, Today we have a pretty unique topic something we don't talk about in the world of adventure sports a lot but if you talk to anybody doing it it's absolutely an adventure and that is uh the world of bow hunting and we have Ead Yayawe talking about that coming from iowa how you doing i'm good sir how are you yeah doing great thanks for thanks
0: for joining us no i appreciate you having me thank you very much you're a bow hunter now
1: are you strictly a bow hunter
0: you know i am i am uh nearly 30 years now. And, you know, when I started like everybody else, you know, with fishing and when I just started hunting, I did a little bit of everything from, you know, small game to, you know, upland game, like pheasants and ducks and waterfowl. But as time went on and and my passions changed, I I became, you know, a bow hunter as much for what interested me than than anything. But uh, at this point, yeah, for the last decade or so, that's really all I pursue is archery and bow hunting.
1: And now, why is that? Is there something about the bow? that you don't get
0: from other forms of hunting you know that's a great question um and i get that asked asked that a lot for me it it, it's really the isolation the quiet time that i get with nature whether i'm sitting in a tree stand or this morning i was up at 330 we have you know wild turkey season here in iowa right now and and just getting some time to yourself and and get to absorb a lot of what's around you um i love the camaraderie that comes with you know fishing with friends or in the past when we used to pheasant hunt and and uh but unfortunately with archery you don't get a lot of that and and i i really that's the part that i really enjoy the most is the isolation and the quiet time and you know most of archery season which the beauty of it it can last 3 months and you have a lot more time because your opportunities are so so few and far between and you really get to see the changing of the seasons from you know the early seasons of september october where it's green and warm to the you know bitter cold of december and january whereas Some firearm seasons are, you know, four or five days, and and you really don't get to experience a lot of nature. Um, The things that people don't think about when they think of hunting is, you know, the songbirds and the color changes and coyotes and foxes and things of that nature that you see that you might not otherwise. So that's what draws me to archery is the isolation and the quiet time of reflection and uh, being outside.
1: It seems like even when you are actively doing you know, using the bow, it's still a little more in tune with nature's ways than, than a gun is, you know, when you fire a gun, it is a distinct change in the environment, but a bow can almost just blend right in the sounds, the, you know, there's the hum of the arrow, but it's, it does feel a little more in tune.
0: That's well said. No, I haven't had anybody bring that up, but you're, you're, you're absolutely spot on. And and we, it almost goes without saying as archers, we, we kind of take that for granted, but, you know, undoubtedly, you know, as you said, when you, when you pull the trigger on a firearm, the explosion, the the blast changes everything from the squirrels, the, the, you know, the, the uh, songbirds, I mean, everything changes. It's almost like uh, you're in a quiet room afterwards because everything shuts down, whereas archery, you know, <laughs> Lord knows I missed my share of archery shots and, and nothing changes sometimes, you know, things continue as they were. Um, no, you know, no more sound than a branch falling from a tree. So, and that's another thing that that you kind of take for granted with the silence of it. And, and that's what I love about it. So yeah, well said. Thanks for bringing that up.
1: I I used, I grew up bow hunting, um, and, uh, bow hunting and gun hunting, but we got into bows a little later. This was down in Florida. And, uh, I remember sitting in a tree stand, I was probably 12 or 13 or something. And I had my first bow and I was so bored. I was bored out of my mind. And so this rabbit came by and I decided to try to shoot it and I missed and it hit right in front. And that's a, that was a hard target, especially I was never good anyway. (laughs) And it, it landed right in front of the rabbit. The arrow did and the rabbit, you know, it's, it scared him and he jumped back, but then he just kept going. He just kept feeding, and he worked his way around the arrow, gnawing on the grass. And I was and I was so shocked by how little it actually scared him that I just said, well, you, you deserve to live. I'm not going to try again. And I just sat there, the arrow sticking out of the ground, and I thought, yeah, a gun would have scared everything a quarter mile away, further away. And it, it was just a neat experience.
0: It is, and that's absolutely true. And I've experienced that time and time again where – and it, it, it's nice too because the you know, as you say, the hunt quote unquote will continue and you can experience everything. I mean, there's some pretty crafty squirrels out there that are kind of hip to it and they they kind of catch on to you and they'll chuckle at you for fifteen minutes <laughs> afterwards. But you know, yeah, you know, and, and it's fun to watch and like, yeah, yeah, you get it, you know. And um, you know, when we when we were younger with small game hunting, you know, for those listening, which you know includes rabbits, as you said, or squirrels if you do, you know, whether it's a rifle or shotgun and you, you pull that trigger, um, maybe you get your game, maybe a miss, but regardless, everything shuts down for quite some time and, and kind of takes the, you know, everything's less exciting for a while. Um, you know, and growing up, you know, I didn't start hunting until I was 14. My parents didn't hunt. Nobody in my family hunts. It, it was just something that ever since I was a child, I, it started with my love of outdoors and wanting to be outside, but You know, that was nice to take my dad, you know, because I didn't drive and so we experienced that together. But um no, I think you're absolutely correct, and that's the beauty of archery is is even when you miss uh things continue as they are. Man, that's
1: awesome. Now, um, you know, I, I have your book here with me, which is it's called Crimson Arrows, and uh it's been awesome so far. I've read a few stories of it, but I flipped through it a little bit before this interview and noticed that The hunting bow hunting has taken you on adventures literally all over the world everywhere and you know that that, that's awesome because a lot of the sports that people do on this show they'll enter events and go all over the place Um, but it started for you in rural Iowa and you didn't come from a family of hunting so so how did you get into it being young and kind of doing it all on your own where did it start for you and, and and why why did you start doing this
0: you know, it's a great question, and, and I, I remember my earliest memory was was catfishing with my family, and telling you know, I, every chance I had, I'd tell my dad or mom, say, "Hey, you know, can we go fishing?" Can we? And my brothers, if they ever listen to this, will say, "Oh boy, you know, he's right," because every every chance I had, I was tugging at my dad's sleeve to take me fishing or or out in the woods, and I, I can't even explain it. It didn't even start as hunting; it really started as if you go back to my grade school days, I'd always do presentations of, you know, the outdoors, whether it was leaves or insects, or I just always had to be out there. And there was always something different to find. And, and fishing was my first love. And, and then as time went on, when I was about 13 or 14, I I just remember vividly asking my dad, I said, Hey, do you mind if I take the hunter education course? And and they were, they were against guns when I was growing up and we didn't have guns. And, and they were really, you know, as in, I'm a parent of two boys, and I can understand that. And and they're like, oh, we don't want you around those things, and we don't know anything about them. And I said, well, just just let me try, just let me go get training, you know, let me get certified, and I'll find a mentor. And and thank God I had such wonderful parents, you know, they they said, you know, absolutely, we'll take you, but you know, we just want you to make sure you're safe. And and there I, I met a gentleman by the name of Roger, and and he kind of took me under my wing and his wing, and and showed me uh, the basics of it, but. The passion was always there to to do it. I think that goes for whether it's skiing or mountain climbing or um some of my favorite things to watch are the Everest climbers and I have no desire to climb a mountain, but if you have a passion for something, you can appreciate that. And that's kind of what I felt with the outdoors. I just had to be out there like maybe somebody who needs to surf or run or hike, they just they have to be there and that's the feeling I had and that was one more way for me to experience it was was hunting.
1: So what is it about hunting itself that, that does that for you? Is it, it's obviously the place cause you're not going to hunt, you know, in the city, you gotta be out in nature <laughs> or right. something like that. Yeah. And, and what is it about the experience of hunting that, that I guess fires you up so much?
0: The thing I enjoy about the bow hunting is, you know, the pursuit is always fascinating to me. You really do have to get up close and personal with a lot of these animals, especially here in Iowa, whitetails and turkeys. So with turkeys this morning for instance trying to call them in trying to fool their senses whitetails trying to make sure they don't wind you so there's that there's always that predator prey relationship um the the full circle you know type of mindset that you just want to be part of it and some of my fondest memories were hunts that didn't go my way that there was a period in my life where I went 4 years and never took a deer um, just because the opportunity wasn't there, the shot wasn't right. Wow.
1: And you still hunted through those four years.
0: Oh, I did. I loved it. In fact, I told my wife about a week ago, um, we had a busy work week and I was able to get away for one morning and I came home and I said to her, I said, you know, I didn't get one that morning, a turkey. And I said, but I'm so happy. I said, I was, I was just part of it. And she kind of looked at me and smiled and she got it. Cause, and I, sometimes I forget that, uh, sometimes you get caught up and, you know, you want to fill your tag or, you know, put meat in the freezer, but. I remember coming home just being so happy that I was out there and had the chance to experience it. So being part of it, uh, a Hunter told me that once, and I, I didn't understand what he meant because I was younger. But I'm starting to understand now that, you know, whether you – and that's not true for everybody. But for me, just being part of the season, um, being out there with the – you know, in that environment is what really intrigues me. So that's what draws me to it, the the challenge of it as well as being out there.
1: So it's not about the biggest turkey or the biggest buck?
0: No, it's, it's a great question. I, I've never been into that. Um, you know, people do ask me that a lot. And if you read the book, I'm, I'm proud to say that, you know, I, I really wrote it from the heart and and all the misses, all the mistakes are in there as well as the successes. But, um, I wouldn't be honest if I told you when, a when I do take a nice white tailed deer or a, a large turkey, it doesn't excite you, but it most certainly is not on my radar as my priority. And, and everybody's got their, you know, they want to run their fastest mile. They want to, you know, climb the highest mountain. And and then there's some guys who just say, I just want to get to the top. And for me, being part of it, and uh, I think for me, the ethics of it, and making a, uh, you know, an ethical shot and a clean, a uh, clean, quick harvest, and then using that meat. That's one of my my rules is I always, always, if I take something, it's got to, you know, got to be processed and and eaten through friends and family. So. That to me is is what intrigues me is the whole process from the practice to putting your time in to you know field dressing to the table. So no, the 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 biggest deer and the biggest turkeys have never been my goal, and and that's that's the honest truth. Ever since I started, uh, although they excite you when you see them, um, it certainly isn't my uh, motivation. Wow, man!
1: So, so so it's the entire process. It probably feels. Yeah, I've, I've shot a few deer and some turkeys and hogs down in Florida. There's plenty of hogs, but, uh, yes, it's... it is, I would say my earliest memories in the outdoors were hunting and, uh, man, the, the thrill of it is the, the amount of adrenaline is like nothing else I've ever experienced. And it, it's, I've changed. I don't hunt much anymore, more, more, more because of the the cost and the time it takes. I just don't have the, time now but I have plenty of friends that do and it that thrill is it's unreal and to to say you know I I I hunted this I didn't buy it at the grocery store right I I hunted this animal and I took I drug it out of there hundreds of pounds of of an animal it's an incredible experience and it's really hard to replicate in anything else in life
0: It, it it truly is and and I think you you also made a great point about the rush of adrenaline and And the feeling you get. Uh and I think people misconstrue that sometimes. They they think it's um at least some friends of mine, and many of my friends don't hunt, and my family doesn't hunt. And so I've really had a a crash course in trying to explain my passions for you know 42 years, trying to tell patients and patients and people and and you're like, why do you do it? you know, and and I think maybe I've starting to realize a lot of people think it's the kill and it's it's not so much the kill as much as the anticipation of that animal coming in and you've called to them and you're wondering if they're going to wind you and are they going to hear you and, and getting the full draw and placing a good arrow. And so it kind of goes back to that predator prey, uh, that that's been going on since the dawn of time and, and we're part and being part of that. And it's certainly not for everybody, but you know, I love to eat meat and, uh, I always have, and my family enjoys it. And so, um, um, it's just a way for me to experience everything full circle. But yeah, the adrenaline rush—that would be a lie to say there's none of that because it's it's absolutely one of the better parts of the experience.
1: Yeah, I've just it's been a long time since I felt that.
0: <laughs> it's a, I agree. Now. I get away from it, and it's uh, and even this spring, I had a couple turkeys that came in to calls and, and never did get a shot. And uh, I mean, it's I was laughing because of the uh, the heart rate that I had after they walked away and. I, I still laugh at it. It's it's amazing to me that as a grown man with a, a family that after all this time, it still does that to me. And, and even last year, after I filled my tags in the turkey woods, uh, um, I went back out there with just some calls and sat by a tree and, and called four of them in that morning and watched them at 10 yards and had the same adrenaline rush and had no weapon in my hand. So yeah, there's certainly something to it. And and uh, I certainly am blessed to, to feel it every time I go.
1: Now, we, we talked to a guy, If he was paragliding literally from mountaintop to mountaintop, all the length of the <laughs> Rocky Mountains in Canada. Yeah. Uh, and he got, you know, and he'd land on these mountains and he'd be stuck up there because of weather or because there were cliffs on all sides of the mountain. And he'd have to make sure there was enough snow that he could melt, and drink it and all that. Well, he was stuck for seven days on three different occasions on top of a mountain And he said, I ran out of food a number of times, and this guy's a vegan. And Uh I was like, Well, what what did you do? He goes, Well, the only thing that was up there were marmots. And he goes, So I had to catch them with my bare hands and kill them and skin them and eat them and build a little fire, find little shavings of wood and tundra, you know, plants and burn it to cook this meat. And I was like, Well, you know, after being vegan for 20 years, how did your body react to it? And he said, I've never felt more
0: alive in all my life. <laughs> it's, you know, it's funny you said, I, I, uh, I have a passion for nutrition too. And, and especially after going through that stroke, I, I went through when I was younger and, and, uh, I really have kind of follow more of a keto lifestyle. And, um, it, it's amazing how the body adapts to certain nutrition. And, you know, a lot of my friends are vegan and, and some have different philosophies on nutrition, but, um, I am so enthralled by that story. That's the adventure sports that you cover in and, uh, like I said, I've always been captivated by marathon runners and hang gliders and people always say, Oh, you know, aren't you afraid to be out in the woods? Like I have no fear when I'm in the woods, but when I watch you guys do some of the stuff you do, I, I'm just so impressed by it. So, uh, yeah, whether you're, you're doing that or out in the woods, it's, uh, it's all a rush. It's all a rush.
1: Absolutely. And, and that's what a lot of people probably don't realize about hunting is you're, you're an athlete as much as, as much as anyone is an athlete and you particularly and are, in fantastic shape, and you have to be with the equipment you carry. And then, you know, if you make a kill, y- you got to get that thing out of there. <laughs> it ain't. Yeah. It's... There's not a service that comes along and picks it up and dresses it for you and packages it up. I mean, you got to drag that thing however long you've gone out there. And depending on the terrain, you may or may not have a vehicle to help you with that.
0: That's right. You know, in the in the book, we where there was the elk hunt or the moose hunt in the book. Uh, you know, when you have a you know Fifty pounds of meat on your back, or seventy-five pounds of meat, and you're and you're walking through a, a tundra that you know just wants to pull you into it every time you you take a step. Uh, you really you really almost see through time sometimes. You're like you're so tired, but you're also so excited, and you're absolutely right. I mean, getting the animal out and making sure you take care of it properly so that it is salvageable is uh, as, as much uh, you know part of the hunt as as the first day. So. Um, you're right. You have to be in good shape. And, and I think about that a lot. I'd like to do more mountain hunts as I get older. And so that's one of my motivating factors when I go to the gym in the morning is, you know, keeping the joints and, and everything in tune.
1: Athletic brewing is pioneering non-alcoholic craft beer. Yeah, I said non-alcoholic craft beer. And there's a number of reasons you might want to do that. Whether you're training for an event, which a lot of our listeners are, or you know if you if you're babysitting and don't want to be drunk in case something happens i mean stuff happens but you still want to sit down and enjoy the game and have a beer this is an incredible option for a full flavored full-bodied beer each can is only 50 to 70 calories with ipa golden ales stouts and tons of seasonal offerings athletic brewing is a great option if you want that craft brewery taste uh, but not deal with the effects of alcohol itself. Uh, if you'd like to save 15% on your first order, go to athleticbrewing.com and use the code ADVENTURE at checkout. So, so and so, you know, I would like to, we talked a little bit about it before uh, we press record, but uh, you, you did have a life-changing situation happened um in your late 20s that th- it seems to be pretty pivotal do you, do you mind getting into that what happened when you were 28
0: Oh no not at all I I was uh I'm an optometrist and eye doctor and I was at the St. Louis VA Medical Center and you know ironically it was the last week of my residency so after you know 10 years from the start of college till the end of my
1: training the last week
0: huh the last week, uh, stressful my, decade of schooling, wasn't it? Yeah, it was it. And I was pretty thinking about moving back to Iowa and I had a job waiting for me and I was pretty excited. And you're kind of on cruise control that last week. And, you know, everybody's bringing cookies and having fun. And, and there was a gentleman in the chair and it was one of the last midday I'd say. And, and unfortunately he could, couldn't get out of the chair and, uh, I had to lean down and get underneath him, and and lift just like you're squatting on a squat rack and really pushed and pushed. And finally we got him up and, you know, got him going and stabilized. And, and then all of a sudden I realized, boy, I can't feel my right leg. And, and uh, I thought, Oh, it's just a sleepy leg. Just like if you slept wrong. And then, you know, five minutes go by and I'm kind of holding onto the wall as I walk down the hall. And my friend, uh, Dr. Young says, Hey, he says, what's wrong with you? And I said, Oh, you know, nothing. I'm fine. I'm, I'm no pain. There was no pain. And then an hour goes by and I still can't feel my leg and I'm still limping. And he goes, you know, we really want you to go to the emergency room. And I said, no, no, it's fine. It's I'm fine. It's no big deal. It's pinched nerve. And you can just see the look on their face. They, they didn't like it at all. And so after they just really hounded me for a while, I went up stairs and neurology was there waiting for me and they put me in a scanner and, and about 20 minutes later, they came back out and they said, you know, you've had a, you've had a stroke. And I said, no, no, seriously, what's wrong? And. And they showed me the image. And I, I still remember, you know, my heart rate, you know, really was pretty rapid. And, you know, I, I just felt really warm. And I, I just I just didn't know what to say. I was kind of irritable, to be honest with you. And and I signed an AMA form uh, against medical advice for those listening. I, I'd left the hospital. And they I remember i saying, listen, if you leave, it's your responsibility. And we want you to stay. And we got to find where the clot is. And so my dad's a physician and was living in Iowa at the time. And I called him and he was less than happy with me. He, he, you know, he's been through it all as a doctor. And, and he said, uh, you know, we're coming to get you and we'll go to the university of Iowa. And so a long story short later that night, we finally rolled into the university and they admitted me and, uh, the head of neurology walked in and showed me the scan and, and then it finally hit me, you know, and then I, I got a little emotional and, and, uh, it was hard on me cause I, I still couldn't feel my leg. I, I couldn't walk very well. And, you know, you spend all that time and, you know I was take trying to take care of myself I, I didn't drink I didn't do drugs and and really just tried to live on the up and up and, and here I was and I just I didn't remember feeling anything like anger at the time of the not fair I just couldn't believe it and uh, and there was no there was no guarantee she said I remember her saying vividly she said there's a young girl two doors down from you that'll never talk again and her stroke hit that part of her brain and you might she says you might limp the rest of your life, but you'll talk. And she was very blunt, uh, very blunt with me. And I appreciated that. Um, I can't say I'm that way with my patients, but I did appreciate the way she spoke to me and didn't sugarcoat it and just said, Look, we'll see what happens. And you know, those fibers won't necessarily come back, but others might take over and you'll have some repercussions of it. But you know, we don't want you lifting weights and we don't want you working out, we don't know where the clot is. and after they, about four days, they figured out I had what they call a patent foramen ovale, which is basically a hole in your heart that doesn't close. It's fairly common. Teddy Bruschi, um, if any football fans out there played for the Patriots, he suffered the same stroke. If you ever Google that and read it about it, it's a fascinating story, but um, a very similar stroke from the same defect. And so that's where it came from. And thankfully to this day, I haven't had another one. I'm on a blood thinner. And, and in time, I got most of the feeling back in my leg. And then, you know, you just adapt and then you forget. And thankfully... uh you know, they talk about the PTSD and, and those kind of situations. And boy, that's real because, you know, after I finally got back on my feet and tried to work out again, I just, I couldn't do it. It was scary. It was really scary. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my gosh, this, this is real. And then, you know, two, three months later, I was able to finally, you know, to start doing things again. And now I feel like I'm, I'm better for it. I, I'm able to relate better to patients and boy, we see a lot of stroke patients and, and it's so, I think it's helpful for them for me to say, listen, I've been there. I know it. And they kind of look at you like, you know, you do get it. And then you go through what you, your side effects of it, which I have some, and they go through theirs and then it's more of a bonding. So it changed my life completely. I, I, uh, I, I think that's what spawned a lot of those trips. I think I wanted to oh, wait till I'm older. And then I realized I might not get to be older and I just decided to go. And that's, I think everybody should live their life like that. Just go because if you don't, you just, you don't want to look back and know you didn't squeeze the sponge dry and have regrets. So that's, and once I had my children, I told myself I'd stay home then and, and it's worked out well. I've, I've was able to do all the things I wanted to do and then um, stay home with my kiddos now and, and maybe one day I'll start traveling again. But that's the story. It's uh, definitely life changing, but thank God it worked out. Wow.
1: You went over a few things in that that I think have led pretty much directly to this book and you know those stories and those stories have come from trips that you've taken um so you talk about you know not waiting till you're old to start living your life um how do you do that with so many other responsibilities cuz you're you're a doctor you have kids um yet you're able to build literally a book worth of stories that are almost outside of that world that have to do with your passion for hunting what, what, what's your advice to somebody instead of saying you know, put this off for 20 years. Let's, can we have all of it now in, in spurts or in, in segments? I don't know. How how has it worked
0: out like that for you? Um, yeah, I always tell my kids and my, (laughs) my kids aren't necessarily old enough to, but my seven year old, he, he's starting to listen a little more. And I, you know, I would tell him as he gets a little older, you know, dream responsibly. And, and so what that means is, you know, don't ignore all your responsibilities and your family comes first. And, you know, Lord knows there's been a lot of relationships that have been lost from from guys or girls that have, you know, decided to chase their dreams with no thoughts of consequences. And and so what I made sure was always make sure that my family was taken care of and, and would plan accordingly and, and uh, you know, make sure that six months, seven months. I told somebody the other day, I said, if you really want to go to you know, Alaskan hunt moose, you know, burn your ships, you know, like old Cortez and just say, you know, book that hunt and then start working towards it, meaning – you know, make time off from work and just make it a priority. And I always tell people when they call and they say, hey, I know you're busy and you don't have time tomorrow. I say I'll make time. So if you're really passionate about it and and I think people look at the end game of everything, meaning, you know, you want to be in a certain shape, you want to make so much money, you want to, you know, climb this mountain or run that marathon. And they fail to look at the in between. And you really have to ask yourself, are you comfortable with the sacrifices you'll need to make to get to the end of the game. And that's how I did it. So there were some hunts that weren't worth those sacrifices, whether it be a financial or time away from my family. And there were others that I thought I can do that, be gone a week, work harder for six months before, but that's my priority. And there's plenty of things in my life that aren't and, and I've never done. And so I would tell you anybody, no matter what your dream is to, look at what it's going to take to get there and then honestly look yourself in the mirror and say, is it worth it? And as long as your family's taken care of and, you know, picking the right spouse, I think was one of my greatest blessings because she understands my passions. Helps but I a don't, lot. Oh, it does. But I don't disrespect that either. I don't say, okay, I'm going to leave this week and then when I come home Monday, I'm going to go down south and then I'm going to go west. So, you know, I usually do a, uh, before we had kids, I do a week or two a year and and that's what I, that, that's how I balanced it. I just asked myself, what do I really want out of life? And if I um, have another stroke and I can't do it, would I be happy to say, hey, I did what I wanted? Um, and that's how I approached it. Do you worry about that? Um, you know, honestly, I don't, I, I don't worry about another stroke. I, I certainly have my fears like everybody, but, um, a stroke, uh, certainly isn't one of them. I think because I, I feel like I'm doing all I can to control that and, um, I think I've learned the hard way the two, three months afterward, the, the, the anxiety I felt and the fear I felt afterward was worse than the stroke itself. And so thank God I was able to get over that and move on. Um, but I don't fear a stroke. I think I have more fear for, you know, as a parent, you know, your children's futures and, but as far as my own health, I really, I don't fear anything about my health and I don't know if that's good or bad, but I do my best to take care of myself and, you know, let the chips fall where they may. Now you talk about life changing, you oh. a stroke was life changing. <laughs> a kid, a child is way more life changing yeah. than a stroke. So it's, it's, the best that's been to me, being a father of two boys, to me and, and, you know, and it's not a cliche, it's truly has been the best part of my life is being a dad. Um, somebody asked me the other day, like, I was at a convention in Omaha for this, uh, bow hunting convention and listen to a speaker and he says you know when's your you know when's your next hunt and I said I really don't have any hunts planned I'm I'm coaching baseball now and I'm you know I'm turkey hunting and deer hunting in Iowa um uh, because it's where I'm from but uh, I just don't have any dreams on the horizon right now other than being home with the kiddos and coaching so um and you'll see that too as you become a dad you'll get them entwined and in with your life and it's 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 awesome it's hard to explain till you go through it but you're gonna love it
1: man that's that is uh funny you say that um <laughs> I, I like your, uh, yeah, our house is already starting to change because all the stuff that we're getting, but, uh, there's a crib <laughs> backed up to me right now that wasn't there a few weeks ago. Um, <laughs> like but it's worse. It, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's closing in on my office space because we have a pretty small space out in Denver. Um, but, uh, <laughs> it, it's going to be awesome. And I like that you said, you know, responsible risks, uh, I, historically I've not been very good at that Uh, with my (laughs) wife and I, we've been married almost five years now and it's pretty much just been, I was a free, free bird before meeting her and it has been a hard adjustment. Let's just put it that way (laughs) to where I have not had responsible, responsible risks and I've taken, and I'm definitely a risk taker, which is a blessing and a curse as, as you know. Um, but man, I can feel myself changing now, like saying, Wow, I can't, I don't, not that I can't do that anymore. Cause obviously there are parents out there that don't give a crap and keep doing it, but yeah, I don't want right. to. That's right. And that's right. That's it's right. That's crazy. Right. It's I'm like, I never would, I never would have imagined that. No, I don't want to do these things anymore.
0: Yeah, it's, it's so true. And it's well said. And you've got, you know, you're thinking about it the right way. And, and certainly, I've made mistakes if you, you know, there's a chapter in that book where there's a Polaris that's, uh, there's a picture in there where the thing exploded. I and, uh, wanted
1: to ask you about that. That is, <laughs> I was flipping through and there's like animals, 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 totally burnt uh, Polaris. What the heck is that Polaris, about? Uh,
0: you know, I, I, you know, not to ruin the book for anybody, but I, you know, just it's, uh, I, I bought this Polaris because I had a, a son and at the time, and I didn't want to have him on an ATV and, you know, for safety reasons and. I wanted to take him to the farm to to teach him how to plant, you know, crops and take care of food plots and and so I, I bought this unit and about 2 weeks after I got it it was it was so it got so hot. I mean almost to the point where you could boil an egg on it and I took it in once or twice and I said guys I said, I can't put my hand on the dashboard I said, it's, it's just so hot. And they're like, Oh, it's a new unit. It's normal. It's fine. I'm like, I don't think this is fine. I can't let my son touch the dash. And they're like, no, no, you're fine. Just drive it some more. So I took it out to the farm a couple of days later. And, and my son had wanted to go that morning. And for whatever reason, I told him, no, I'll never forget that in my circle drive at my house. I, I remember his tears and he's like come on, let me go. And he was five or six at the time. And, I said, no, no, you can't go. I, I got to get this done. And he's, I just felt so guilty when I drove away and had headphones on and I'm had this little pull behind mower and I'm just driving along. And, and I looked back behind me about an hour into my work and the blade had quit cutting and all the grass was just pushed down. And I was so irritable. I was like, oh, I've got to do this all over. And I went down to undo my seatbelt and I look over and I saw a flash of orange. I'm like, you know, what is At first I thought it was a hunter safety code or something weird. Like, what is that? And and underneath the carriage, then it caught, I could see it and it kind of hit me. It was the whole underside of the Polaris was on fire. And I had headphones on and there was no smell and there was no sound. And so I remember unbuckling the seatbelt and just taking off like as fast as I can, which I mean, I mean, no holds barred to the edge of the field because it just had, you just had this feeling it's going to explode. And I had no longer, no sooner got to the edge of the field and turned around than it just it exploded. I mean, just like old Die Hard movies. I mean, just boom it was boom 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 and then four fires bang 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 and then the whole field is on fire i mean and i was in shock i was like what is going i mean i we had just sprayed this field which means you kill the grass because we were going to plant the crops it just took off i mean like you couldn't stop it and so i called 9 one and they's like uh, okay we got a fire department on the way and they called and then we see the smoke cloud from the road Where you know so they were able to get it was in the middle of nowhere so they had to trudge through the forest to get there and And I just keep thinking, you know, if my son was sitting in that seat, his legs would have caught on fire, number one, and then I would have been trying to get him out. And if I got him out, which I would have, he still would have had second or third degree burns all over his body. And uh, if I hadn't stopped to check that grass, I would have just been driving when it exploded. I mean, it would just happen and I would have been on fire rolling through a field of dead grass, which God knows how that would have turned out. So I... You know, and I, I can't uh I can't say this, you know, it's more off the record, but I just I feel like, you know, I let it go too. I, I felt like so grateful. I, I call <laughs> I called the dealer when I got done and and they were just uh a couple years later somebody just last year maybe somebody sent me an article where there was, you know, more cases of those happening uh with the explosions with those units. And uh I just I'll never forget I'll just never forget the, the memory for me was looking down and seeing that lava pit of fire underneath that Polaris and, and not seeing or, or hearing anything. Cause I had the headphones on listening to music and just, uh, I just can't for a reason. My son wasn't with me and thank goodness, but it was how, how fast it happened and how intense that heat was with the explosion was something I'll never forget. And it
1: was brand new,
0: brand new, like that a is week old.
1: unbelievable.
0: One I'm, I'm week looking ago. at the
1: picture right now. That, that thing <laughs> is, that's unbelievable.
0: Yeah, it burned that hot. I mean the insurance guys called and they're like they sent the pictures and, they, and I don't think you would believe me until I see the pictures. And then they look at the pictures and I'm like, oh my gosh. They're like, Well, where's no point at least going out there because and my keys for my truck were in it and that got burned up and so my buddy had to drive down two hours to bring me a spare key and but it's still out there by the way. We <laughs> we left it we left it on the farm as a memento. We call it the Polaris field. So every time we hunt now, like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm on the Polaris field, and there's the mower and this Polaris, and it looks like it's been there 50 years. But, you know, every time I drive by it, I'm like, unbelievable. So it's still sitting there in a, you know, uh, it just looks like a, a farm relic now. But, yeah, yeah that picture, uh, until you see the picture um, in the book, it's like people are like, oh, yeah, your, your unit exploded. Well, then they see the picture, and am like, oh, my gosh, like, how did you survive that? So it anyway, like just
1: to- out of a war zone.
0: Oh, it does, and so just just fortunate that I was, you know, why things happen, you know. I think the book's full of those kind of stories, and you know, the whether you call it fate or or luck or what have you. Uh, my life's certainly been full of, uh, you know, stories like that. So I'm grateful.
1: So, so that's what you get to look forward to with the book.
0: Yeah, I think you Stuff know, like I, that. The I really have enjoyed. I, I think I really in. Patient, people that don't hunt that read it, and then when I first sent it to the publisher, I was pretty nervous. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, like if a publisher gets this who doesn't like hunting or is against hunting and has the wrong idea of it. And that was my goal. That if people read it, even if they didn't hunt or were against hunting, which I respect, I look at both sides of it, and maybe they have a better understanding of, of bow hunting and and what we do and and why we enjoy it, and realize it's not just going out there and pulling triggers and letting arrows fly. It's truly you know, what I wrote and how I wrote it with different birds that I saw and the intricacies of those things is is so true because that's what I enjoy and miss when I don't get to go. And so I think if you dream, if you've had dreams, if you aspire to run marathons, hang glide, you can probably find a story in there that makes you want to do those things more. And even if has nothing to do with hunting, because maybe you'll see yourself in those stories as somebody who you know wanted to accomplish something and and we're down on your luck and then turn things around. So, I think even if you don't hunt, it's it's possibly a book. Uh, I know it's a book that that they would enjoy and uh, hopefully they can see the you know those stories within the stories.
1: This episode is also sponsored by CS Instant Coffee, 100% arabica coffee with compostable packaging. You can find them at csinstant.coffee. And use adventure at checkout for twenty percent off. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I will have to say, you know, it's it's where my foundation of adventure and the outdoor love of the outdoors started. And you know, you, it's not it's not animal murder. That's not what it is. That's not what you well, do. You're not going out there to kill, not. kill, 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 kill. It's highly calculated. And, and I'm I'm blessed to have a lot of friends that hunt that are some of the most conservation-minded people i've ever met because it's the it's an incredibly spiritual experience for them They're, you know it's it's not kill this animal and conquer it it's thank you for the thanking god or the universe or whatever they're thanking for this experience of being able to harvest this themselves and provide for their family through this means and Man, you know, I, I, I'd be a lot more conscious of the meat I ate if everything, I ha- I had to kill it myself. You know what I mean? I'd probably eat a lot <laughs> less meat, to be honest, because ain't nothing hard about going to the Safeway and getting a pack of chicken. <laughs> but if I had to go out there and kill the turkey every time, I'd be like, man, forget that. I'm growing some beans.
0: <laughs> no, it's it's so true. And, and you know, uh, like everything in life, there's, there's, you know, bad representation of things. And I'm the same way as you have some of the best people in my life are hunters and, uh, have the best ethics ethics, you know, best family people. They, they, they work hard, responsible, and, uh, I'm proud to know them. And so it goes both ways. Uh, you know, uh, I think sometimes in the media, you see things that doesn't portray, you know, hunting as it is, and that goes for everything in life. But, uh, it's nice to hear that, um, from you with your friends. And I, I echo that too, that my friends, uh, some of the best people I know are certainly outdoorsmen and hunters and uh, conservation-minded.
1: Man, so for people who, kind of like you, maybe didn't come from a family that, that was did hunting, um, heck, even fishing, uh, h- what would you suggest if someone was interested in getting started, whether they're young or if they already have their own family? Because hunting, man, it, it's, it's even... I work with a lot of people trying to get them to go backpacking for the first time, and that's a task mm-hmm. in itself. To me, hunting is an entirely different level beast with, you know, firearms and weapons and then the legalities of that. How do you get into it if you've never done it?
0: You know, it's a great question and uh, one I get asked often. And I think without a doubt, and we're lucky to have this, we have some great associations in every state, whether it's Colorado or Iowa. And I think finding a mentor is the key to life in so many things. Find someone you trust you know, get to that, you know, or state organization, call the state organization, find your local chapter and walk in there. And there's people that, you know, that really want to help you. I mean, I love working with kids on this stuff and there, that goes for every, I know that's true everywhere. And don't try to necessarily do it yourself because it's, it can be dangerous. Just like if you went hang gliding by yourself or you went backpacking, you can, you know, I've been lost hiking a few times. I mean, one time in a horse tooth, I used to live out in, in, um, just North of Denver in um, Fort Collins. And, And, uh, I went on this, I think it was called horse tooth. And I remember going up there and right around dark and I, I kind of got turned around and I took my time and before you know it, it's dark. I mean, you can die just as easily hiking as you can hunting. So I think being safe with firearms and archery and, and just find, get your safety course out of the way first. That's, that's paramount because if you want to hunt now, most States, I think all States require hunter safety education. You got to have your card to know that you went through that and then find a mentor and if you find someone and you run into a buzzsaw and they're not nice to you, nice kind, find someone else. It's not worth your time to go through that with someone not willing to help you. And there's too many people that will. And then you'd be shocked the number of people that would take you hunting. And especially out West, um, the amount of public ground we have is, is mind boggling. I mean, the West is just, every time I see the vast amount of ground out there and, uh, just get your feet wet that way. And, uh, that's how I'd start and then, and see where it leads you. And before you know it, you might be, uh, you know, hunting alligators in Florida or Iowa whitetails or moose in Alaska. So, it's a great, great sport, it's a great adventure, and I urge everybody to try bow hunting at least once. And if not bow hunting, pick up a bow and and try archery. It's it's truly uh relaxing and, and challenging.
1: Ah, yeah, man. My my wife is a teacher, and they just they went to uh, they do a retreat every summer, and she fell in love with archery at this ymca up in the mountains they just had an archery range and they let him shoot for a few hours and she's like this is the coolest thing i've ever done (laughs) and so we got we we started going to the archery range right here in town and uh it just ran most random thing for her you know what i mean she loves it
0: that's a great story i love that's a great story that's that's and so, and, you know, I, I think I, I love it. You know, that's how kind of that book starts is, you know, I was just out with a gun and the guy that took me and his son started flinging arrows. And I still remember seeing those feathers flying through the air and just being awestruck. And, and I just told my mom and dad, I've got to figure this archery thing out. Cause I, I, it was quiet. It was, you know, there's, it's been, you know, archery has been around for over 10,000 years and, and uh yeah, it's, it's amazing. And it, it humbles you. And I think things in life that humble you, Are things you hold on to. And, uh, you know, you can have a great day and then the next day you're the worst archer in the world. So, um, it's certainly something I never get bored of because you never master completely.
1: Absolutely. You're right. And when, when, when it comes to hunting, that is definitely one that feels, feels a lot more fair. Um, a lot more, uh, like a native or, or, or just primal. You know, it's, it's, you know, you, it's really cool, really cool experience. That is fantastic. So, so what is, you know, before we go, what, what's one of the most unique places and things you've ever hunted with a bow? Cause cause it's not just, you know, the, the, an elk or a deer you can hunt, heck anything.
0: I think unique as far as different was an alligator hunt that I did in Florida, um, on a nuisance tag where, you know, these alligators will move into different lakes and areas that, you know, a lot of children, a lot of pets. And, oh, yeah. You know, that's one of the funniest stories in the book is we were with this nuisance trapper, which basically that's his job for the state. And and he said, yeah, we'll, we'll hunt. But, you know, I have to tell you, if uh, we get a call, we have to take it. we have to stop the hunt and go remedy the problem. And and one of the calls he took was, was a woman who uh, there was an alligator that came out of a canal and was literally walking through her backyard to eat her chihuahua that was on a leash. And she was too oh, old. It's a great story and I just, there's pictures in there of that encounter and I, to me, that was the most unique thing because I had no idea something like that could even happen. It was like a National Enquirer, you know, story and I just couldn't (laughs) believe it. And so I would say unique would probably be the gator hunt and then as far as a dream of mine since I was young was wanting to go to Alaska and and hunt moose and that probably is one of my favorite stories in the book is just, uh, you know, the sacrifices it took to get there and then experiencing some of that. So those are two adventures that are memorable for me.
1: That's awesome. Do, do do you know where
0: in Florida that was? Um it was just it was north of Orlando but I don't know the city and I think we we've, we we've, we we've moved around from different cities too. I cannot remember the city cuz I don't think we were in a city. Uh where I took my gator was a isolated canal and and then we were on a lake from my friend. So but I do know it was within an hour and a half of Orlando. So wow.
1: I'm I'm from that <laughs> area and uh, we our town is called frostproof, And it's in between two little lakes. And my dad lives right in town, like right in the middle of town and, you know, just a normal yard. And, and, and it's a, you know, half a mile between the two lakes and gators walk across back and forth between the lakes. And, you know, for a gator, that's a, that's a long ways to be out of the water. And we would come outside in the yard and there would be a four or five foot gator just
0: in the front yard right there i couldn't believe it either i was like you know you think they're you know i thought the all be on the water and we'll be in and he's like no no the ones that you know the problem gators are the ones that kind of lose their you know gain their courage and lose their fear and and you know they're trying to get the chihuahuas and you know uh, things like that so it was kind of an eye-opening experience the power that those animals have with their tails and their teeth uh made me feel like uh i was helpless like you know the guys like you know get out of the way and you know when he had to lasso that gator in the back of that woman's yard, and uh, just just eye opening. Um, you can see how people get their legs broken and things like that. So definitely a prehistoric creature. Oh
1: yeah, and they're they're like armor plate. It is they are <laughs> weird. They are weird. There you
0: go. Yes, they are. Very little has changed in them since uh, since they first came out. So.
1: That's awesome man. So so uh so how can people get the book and how can people I don't know if you post anywhere your experiences and how could people follow you if that's an option.
0: You know, I'm definitely on Facebook. Um we're we're still we're, we're redoing our Facebook uh page for Crimson Arrows. I do have a website, uh, crimsonarrows.com and that will be updated regularly and uh right now the book is on amazon um and i will say we we just uh, maybe three four weeks ago um the first bow hunting uh audible and itunes uh option is now available they we did put that on itunes and audible it's uh, read by uh, richard fish uh professional voice actor he does an awesome job i'm very thankful that he did that project and and as far as we know, it's the first bow hunting book available on Audible or iTunes. So, if you don't have time to read and you want to listen to it, um, it's a really he does a nice job, and um, that's available. You can listen to it in your car or on your on your uh, headset. So, Amazon, um, Barnes and Noble, and then Audible and iTunes carry the uh, Audible version of it.
1: Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to get into more of it because uh, you literally go all over the place, and you include a lot of pictures which I enjoy. I'm pretty visual, visually stimulated. <laughs> so Thanks. it definitely helps to kind of visualize where you are and what you're doing. And man, well, congratulations on, on being able to kind of have all this going on at once, raising a family, having these stories, uh, you know, having a practice and not letting a, a stroke early on in your career really mentally hinder you from all this, you know, because it definitely could have.
0: Yeah, I I do appreciate the kind words. Thank you. And we've got a great family and, and uh you know, I'm grateful to have a second chance to do some things and I do appreciate it. Thank you very much.
1: Yeah, and, and this we we might take this out, this might be out the record, but I'm curious about your name. Where, where, where is, oh, no, that's fine.
0: Where's the origin oh, yeah, story of that? A, that you know, like, every other patient asks me, like, where yeah, are you from?
1: Because so, I was uh, thinking, I saw your name, and I'm like, all right, Iowa boy.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I get that a lot. So my mom's Polish, um, and my dad's Algerian, so but he grew up in Syria. So it's an Algerian name, so uh, Northwest Africa by Morocco and – Wow. But it's uh, when my dad was about twelve or thirteen when the French kind of the revolution kind of took place they they moved were they moved to damascus syria and unfortunately now with what's the tragedy has happened over there a lot of his family's gone but um he grew up in so my dad's my hero he's he doesn't hunt at all, but he's a physician and uh he grew up in Syria and uh worked his way um into to England. He's a OBG. He actually delivered me and my brothers. He's an OBGYN. So he uh, uh went to England, then he went to New York City and then he ended up in Iowa and met my mom. Um she's a nurse. So um quite the, my dad's the real story. He's an amazing guy and and really uh, the true American dream. So um it's an Algerian name. Um my brothers and I were born and raised in Keokuk, Iowa and uh, you know, it's funny when patients call and make appointments, they're like, Hey, you know, am I going to, does he speak English? They're like, yeah, that's pretty much all he speaks. So it's, uh, definitely been a fun life to explain my heritage, but I'm proud of it. And, uh, um, that's, that's the nature of the name.
1: Cause yeah, that's, uh, I bet, def- I bet that throws people for a loop when they,
0: oh, when they meet you it and does. talk they're to like, you. It does. They get the, one of my buddies said, you know, he says, I just, I didn't know what to expect. So I get that a lot. It's great. It's, it's. Uh, I enjoy the question. I never take offense to it, and uh, I enjoy talking about my heritage. And I think we, you know, at some point we all kind of came from somewhere. And uh, uh, I definitely have an awesome family. And, uh, um, yeah, my wife went from Schwartz to Yahweh. So you either want to talk to her. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man, well, well, uh, good thing you have a good attitude about it because it, it's going to provide a lot of uh, fun opportunities over the years. Not. If it annoyed you, oh, you yeah. didn't be a problem, but if you're ha- going to have fun with it, you have something to look forward to pretty much with every other person you meet.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I, I tried to, except when I order pizza. When I order pizza, I'm mad.
1: Oh, okay. Just, okay. okay. <laughs>
0: yeah, just yeah, it's true. Because after a while, you know, you, it got to the point where you order pizza and they're like, uh, what's that? You know, and then, so now it's just, uh, when the kids are hungry, I'm like, I get this pizza ordered. So, uh, I enjoy the questions. I never take offense to it. And, uh, I appreciate you asking.
1: And that's funny. It, it, I, I always, when I order or get reservations or something, I always make up some ridiculous name, <laughs> and include funny. the full name. And my wife always knows it's never under my name, which is Mason. It's always something very extreme that I've looked up. That's great. <laughs> I have a few I go to, but I might start using yours. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you can't laugh at life. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, uh, no, I, I love it. It's fun. It's fun.
1: Yeah, thanks for joining us today, man. I really appreciate it. it. Sounds like you've already had an early morning, so I don't wanna I don't wanna keep you if you've got other things to do or take a nap or something.
0: No. Yeah, I'm good. I don't nap well and I feel pretty good, ironically, so we'll see how the day goes. But I uh, feel good and I do appreciate you having me. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, this was fantastic. We don't get to talk about talk about hunting or fishing a whole lot. So we we have had some requests for it lately, so it was good to to get that get that under our belt.
0: No, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad we you had me on. I, I do appreciate the opportunity, and I hope it. Uh, I hope uh, we covered what you wanted to. So, thank you.
1: Well, thank you so much, and I, I hope you can get some uh, book sales out of this. And congratulations again. It's a. It's been beautifully written so far, and I'm excited to get into the rest of it.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you so much.
1: All righty. Well, we'll talk soon. All right, bud. Take care of yourself. Yes, sir. You too. Goodbye. Bye. Well, first of all, thank you so much for listening to this episode. It really means the world to us that you want to spend your time with us. If you'd like to help us further, please just leave us a review on iTunes. Share us on social media. Tell your friends about us. You can become a patron, a supporter of the show for $5 a month at patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. And if you know somebody that would make a good guest, reach out. We're always looking for good adventure and outdoor stories and lastly thank you to our sponsors whose messages follow right now athletic brewing makes the best non-alcoholic craft beer go to their website at athleticbrewing.com and use the code in our show notes to save 15 percent on your first order after all this adventure talk if you're needing some gear yourself but you need some advice before buying Go to backpacktribe.com where you can ask questions to the owners who have experience with all the gear as well as all of it for sale right there on their website.